Hey everyone, Jason Malone here. Welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and your generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. This word tribulation, is your bio, uh, or your Bible actually might say affliction, it's the Greek word uh, thalipsis, thalipsis, if you'd like to be real Greek. And uh, it's a word that means pressure. More specifically, it means crushing pressure. In the first century, it would have been a picture of someone being tortured to death by having a large boulder laid on them. How about that mental picture? So Jesus says, I know the crushing pressure you're living under. Now, for some of you, you do this easier than others, but I'll give the invitation again for everybody. Imagine being in this church at this point in time with everything that's going on, and you're getting the letter, and you're like, this is from Jesus, right? You're going, all right, let's read this. And you open it up, and this is how it begins. I know it's really tough on all of you right now. I know the crushing pressure. And if you're in that moment, you're just kind of working your way through the letter, what you might be thinking is, all right, I can't wait. He gets it. He knows. He's with us and he knows. And then you keep reading. Because what you're hoping to read is what? What any of us would be hoping to read. Let me tell you how I'm going to remove the pressure, that you're, the pressure that you're under. Let me tell you how I'm going to get rid of the big rock that's on you. But he doesn't. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Wow. Again, Hang with me on this. If you look at almost all the other letters, those churches, the other, the other churches, they've done something or not done something where Jesus is bringing some complaint and correction and here's a negative consequence. But that's not the case here with the church in Smyrna. They haven't left their first love like Ephesus. And as a result, there's crushing pressure. And I'll throw that out there to you. Like if you are interested in not having crushing pressure for following after Jesus, then there is a way out of that. And the way out of that is don't follow Jesus, right? And Jesus is saying, don't fear, some of you are headed to prison and some of you are gonna be killed. So for review, the church of Smyrna was suffering poverty because they weren't taking part in the pagan worship economy. Probably had a harder time finding jobs since they were followers of Jesus and everybody was talking about them. They were suffering slander. We don't know all that that entails, but it means that they were being slandered enough that the Roman authorities of the day think that they, as followers of Jesus, are a threat to their power which leads not just to poverty and not just to slander, but also imprisonment. And the 10 days talked about here, it has a few different interpretations depending on what you read. Maybe he means a literal 10 days. Maybe he's simply implying a short period of time. But really the point that Jesus is making, I do believe this to this church, is he's reminding them that he's in control. Or as author Daryl Johnson says, I thought this was so good. He says, political and religious, for, uh, religious forces have free will. The spiritual forces of darkness have free will. But they exist only by permission of God. And their power is limited by God. Evil is on a leash. Its pressure has a limit. Now, I read that quote, and I was like, man, that is a, that's strong. I like that. 
But I also have to acknowledge that I'm looking at that going, that's great living where I live in the time that I live, right? Again, I don't know how much that kind of thought really helps them in the moment. So poverty, slander, imprisonment, death, being martyred. God, where are you? I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm with you right now. God, are you aware of what's going on? I know. And again, this week as I was studying, I wrote this down in my notes. Jason, how would you have fared in Smyrna as a follower of Jesus? You guys wanna try it? Do it, go ahead. Your name, not mine. I'm fine, I'm working on me. You go ahead, put your name in there. Just think about it for a second. Your name, how would you have fared in Smyrna as a follower of Jesus? Would Jesus have found anything commendable in my response to state-sponsored persecution? Is my faith in Jesus Christ such that it would survive, even thrive, in the midst of such threats? Now, here's the reason I'm asking the question and asking you to ask the question, because I know the temptation. The temptation is to push off what we're reading about in Smyrna as something that is distant, foreign to us. For many of us, it simply isn't something that we worry about day in and day out. We regularly around here articulate how thankful we are for the great freedoms that we enjoy to gather and to open up God's word and to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness. So how can we, if we're not currently suffering any way, how can we avoid simply passing off what we're studying this morning and be, that, that's meant for other Christians in other places, and maybe even some Christians today in some other places, but that's not us. Because if you remember, uh, we said that what Christ says to each of these seven churches is intended for the whole church. So clearly there's something meant for us here in what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, but what is it? Well, at least in part, I think it's this. This reason I had you asking the questions of yourself, and I was asking the questions of myself. We should not assume that we will be able to bear up under suffering if we are not preparing our hearts and minds for suffering in the here and now, when in many ways we experience freedom and peace. Does that make sense? Or as pastor and author Tim Keller said back in the day, and it just stuck with me, everybody eventually ends up with a theology of suffering. This world's too broken that you don't end up with that. What would it look like to wrestle that theology to the ground, not in the midst of the suffering, but before the suffering? Because we don't go looking for suffering and persecution, but we can do much to strengthen the fortress of our faith by growing in our understanding of what God's word says about suffering and about loss and about persecution and what it means to cherish and treasure Christ in the midst of that and how we can have hope when things do go sideways because then recognizing the world will stand in opposition to the things of God and the people of God. If you know that, then suffering doesn't come as an overwhelming surprise that robs us of our confidence in Christ. Instead, suffering reminds us that we belong to Christ, like the church in Smyrna. That we're facing these things because we actually are associated with Christ. And that because of who we are in Christ, we know that our hope is secure. Our foundation is sure. Our confidence is in the one who was before all things and in whom all things hold together. The one who is surprised by nothing. So yeah, we can't perfectly prepare for persecution because there is no way that we can mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually simulate it. But prepare we must. And while suffering and persecution might not be your story currently, I said it once, I'll say it again, it might be the story of the person sitting to your left, your right, in front of you, or behind you today. 
Maybe you have already experienced some measure of being ostracized for your faith. That's the story of some of you. I talked about that several weeks ago when we were in Acts and I was talking about the boldness of the disciples back in the day. Maybe you've been minimized or cut out at, jo- at your job or at school because you follow Jesus. Maybe you have family who they don't want anything to do with you because you're too serious about your faith in Jesus. And they say, you're welcome to come over and hang out, but we don't want to hear the Jesus stuff. And you're going, well, all I want to talk about, honestly, is Jesus stuff because I really do love Jesus. Maybe the culture that you live in day in and day out has labeled you anti-something because you love and follow Jesus. Maybe they've called you anti-choice because you believe in the value of every life. Maybe they've called you anti-gay because you believe in the biblical definition of marriage. Maybe they call you anti-intellectual because you don't embrace biological evolution. And it's not just, and you know this, for some of you in the room, it's not that you've just been called anti-something. It's that you're being treated as narrow-minded, intolerant, a bigot. And you might be tempted to think the best thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is just try to disappear, not rock the boat. Or the flip side of that, maybe your temptation is to fight. As I said when we first began, you want to retaliate. Be just as mean, if not meaner, than the person being mean to you. Escape the situation. Write the person off. Just find people that believe everything you believe and huddle with them and wait for Jesus to come back. Or become disillusioned that God cares for you and knows what's going on with you. Jesus says to the church of Smyrna two things. He says, do not fear and be faithful, even though some of you are facing death, right? Jesus does not take away their poverty. Jesus does not clear their name as they are slandered. He does not break them out of jail. As a matter of fact, he tells them, Satan is working things in such a way to throw some of you in jail and some of you are gonna die. And Jesus does not step in and change them their circumstances. And I know that flies in the face of Western evangelical Christianity that keeps telling you that it's all about your happiness and having your best life now. Because the church of Smyrna would have looked back at you and said, nah, I don't think so. And you know what I know that the church of Smyrna also knew. They knew of other circumstances and instances where things did get changed up. God, I, I know you've broken people out of jail before. I think one way to process this is by asking, why do Christians suffer persecution? That's a legitimate question. I think another question you could ask is this. uh, Why do Christians not suffer persecution? I love this quote by John Stott. The ugly truth is that we tend to avoid suffering by compromise. Our moral standards are often not noticeably higher than the standards of the world. Our lives do not challenge and rebuke unbelievers by their integrity or purity or love. Did you see how? Says that integrity or purity or love. The world sees in us nothing to hate. God, where are you? I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm with you right now. God, are you aware of what's going on? I know. God, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about my suffering? I'm gonna encourage you to not be afraid and to be faithful. I'm gonna encourage you to suffer well in light of what awaits you and what doesn't await you. Look back at the end of verse 10 into verse 11. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus tells them what awaits you 
Don't fear, be faithful. What awaits you is the crown of life. And this refers to the victor's crown. Smyrna had athletic games and they were famous all throughout Asia. And those who finished the race were given what was called the Stephanos, which is a wreath. To those who persevere, you receive the crown of life that will not fade, it will not wither, a crown that is life itself. And then Jesus promises that those who persevere and conquer, that not only will they get, receive the crown of life, but they won't be hurt by the second death. Suffer well, what awaits you is the crown of life, and what doesn't await you is the second death. Thanks be to Jesus. You see, the first death, we all die. But the second death, the death that is eternal separation from God, you don't ever experience as you are faithful unto death, the first death. John actually talks about second death three other times in Revelation, and he's referring to eternal punishment. He's talking about the lake of fire. He's talking about hell. And John is telling those suffering in Smyrna because of their faith in Jesus, no matter how much suffering you endure in the present moment, you will never suffer spiritually in the future. Be faithful if your first death is imminent because you will never die again. And guess what? Of the seven churches Jesus addresses, only the church of Smyrna still exists. How cool is that? Oh, by the way, there has continued to be pressure there in Western Turkey for the followers of Jesus. But many of them have overcome their fear and kept the faith. So, just real practically, how do you and I suffer well now and or in the future? Fear not. Be faithful. Faith over fear. Faith over fear because God is with you in the midst of your suffering, if that's you today. Faith over fear because he knows of your suffering, if that's you today. Faith over fear in the one who has promised us the crown of life instead of the lake of fire. Faith over fear because of the unbelievable and merciful exchange where Jesus died that we might live. And he suffered that we would never know the ultimate suffering, which is eternal separation from him. It was 156 AD, so about 50 years after John uh, had written this letter had arrived to the church of Smyrna. And in Smyrna, the city was buzzing because a public trial was taking place. One of the most well-known and respected leaders of the growing movement known as Christianity was a man by the name of Polycarp. And he was being brought before the leaders of the city for trial. And you might say, well, why is that? Because he refused to burn incense to the emperor of Rome. Sound familiar? Sure. Polycarp was known as a great preacher. He was a leader amongst the people. He led the church in the city of Smyrna. He'd actually been a disciple of John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse, but I'll read it to you. In John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Remember that? And all these years later, John has someone that he's discipled by the name of Polycarp. And the meaning of the name Polycarp is much fruit. That's pretty cool. By this time, Polycarp's around 86 years old. He was brought into a stadium before the Roman authorities. He's accused of being a Christian who refuses to pay homage to the emperor by burning incense to him. He's not going to declare his allegiance to him. 
Effectively, he's not gonna worship him. And the proconsul pressed him to recant his faith in Christ, to pay homage to the emperor so that his life might be spared because you see Polycarp's decision to honor Christ in that moment had far-reaching consequences. It was a death sentence. The Roman authorities threatened to feed him to wild animals. He was threatened to be burned alive. And at one point in the trial, the proconsul tells him, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent. And then a bit later, swear and I will set you at liberty, reproach Christ. And the invitation's clear, abandon Christ or face imminent death. And Polycarp's response, knowing full well that this will be his fate, this is what he is known for saying. 80 and six years, I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And not long after that, he's burned at the stake for his refusal to recant his faith in Christ. And it is a powerful, true story of faith over fear. And I can't help but wonder in those moments Polycarp's anything like me, anything like you. Hey God, where are you? I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm with you right now. God, are you aware of what's going on? Yeah, I know. God, what are you gonna do about it? I'm gonna encourage you not to be afraid and to be faithful, to suffer well in light of what awaits you, the crown of life, and what does not await you, the second death. There's no way in that moment that Polycarp is not remembering what Jesus had said to the church of Smyrna some 55 years earlier person who had resolved in their heart and mind, no matter what comes, I will choose faith over fear because what awaits me is the crown of life and I will never suffer the second death. So you can take this life. I don't die again. Right? May the same be said of us. May that truth allow us to suffer well. Whenever that suffering comes, if the suffering is currently happening for you, faith over fear. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org Follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week. We'll see you next time.